You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Heading into the new year, the Orlando Magic were one of the league's best stories. Despite their incredible youth, they stood at 19 and 13 and were finding ways to win games. But since, they've fallen off a cliff, losing 11 of their last 12. I'm Aaron Fishman. For today's episode, we have the knowledgeable and opinionated Zach Oliver of SB Nation's Orlando Pinstripe Post to break down where the magic are and where they're going. Zach, known to some as the Bowtie Killer, owned a grand total of zero bow ties before Glenn Davis came into his life in his first season covering the team. It all started before a post-game interview when Big Baby summoned him over to fix his bow tie. They bonded over bow ties that year, and now Zach owns probably about 33 of them. Let's bring on the bow tie killer himself. It's a pleasure, Zach. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. I want to, just before bringing you on, set the scene a little bit. 2016, the calendar year, has been really rough for the Orlando Magic. Maybe you can tell us what they did on New Year's Eve or something, but it's been a a semi-difficult schedule for them. But still, they're losing lots of winnable games. And I don't think that, that there's an excuse for going 1-11 and during this stretch. The offense has been abysmal. It's the worst offensive rating in the league in January. It's the second-worst net rating, second to the Phoenix Suns. What's going on, Zach? I, they just came back down to earth. I mean, pretty, pretty much, you know, December was great for them. You know, they, they needed a month where they could go out and you know, really show the potential that they had. They weren't going to have the best offense in the Eastern Conference for a long time. They weren't going to shoot as well as they did. I mean, they, they shot 48% from the field in December. For a team that's chock full of non-shooters, that wasn't sustainable. I think it's just a matter of them really coming back down to earth. And at the same time, I think part of the struggles this month have been due to some injuries. Alfred Payton missed some time with an ankle injury. Victor Oladipo missed some time with a knee injury. So it's kind of uh, coming back down to the mean, but it's it's been a struggle. It's It's been rough. They've got a home at home against the Celtics this weekend, so hopefully they can end January on a high note before they go into uh, their back-to-back death months. In the offseason, you made the hire of Scott Skiles, who kind of has a reputation of coming into these young teams and whipping them into shape, and you typically see a short-term bump, at least a short-term improvement in their record. And I think, as you mentioned earlier on in the season, we did see some of that for the Magic. They were 19-13 and 13 before January, and as you said, they've cooled off since. Do you think that reputation that Scott Skiles has is real, and what can you say about his coaching style that brings that about? I think it is real to an extent, you know. I don't want to say that guys are already starting to kind of go off in their own direction, but that happens a lot with Skiles' coach teams because he doesn't put up with the bullshit. I mean, that's that's plain and simple how it is with him, you know. 
he's shown willing multiple times this season to just go out. And if a whole unit's playing like crap, he's going to bench them. So that wears on guys pretty quickly, I think. And maybe we're starting to see that a little bit just over half a season in. But the sustainability of it is probably, you know, two or three years tops. And I, I think that that was the thing that a lot of people were a little bit lower on the Skiles hiring than I was because, you know, Skiles is going to come in. He's going to coach him for a couple of years. He's going to whip him into shape, but then he's going to lose the locker room and then they're going to have to make a change. But at the same time, that's exactly what this team needed. They had Jacques Vaughn, who, bless his heart, wasn't ready for a coaching job. His X's and O's were never there. You know, he came in, he did what they asked him to do. He lost games, but they still found a way to come in and, and beat a team every once in a while. That's just not how Scott Skiles is. And it's a big adjustment for some of these guys that have been around this losing culture for two or three years now. Despite Orlando's clear overall improvement this season, the team has had difficulty closing out games. They're one in five in overtime games, and they've also struggled beating quality opponents. They're three and 15 against teams 500 or better. Even if those are just typical marks of a young and inexperienced team, what troubles you most about the team's struggles late in close games? The thing that troubles me the most, and it troubles pretty much everybody that watches the team on a regular basis and covers them, is they just lock up. It's happened the last three games. They've moved the ball exceptionally well in the first two and a half, three quarters, gotten quality looks. And then in the fourth quarter, guys just tense up and try to do it all on their own. And to be honest, they really don't have that guy that they can give the ball to an ISO and say, here, we need a bucket, go score. So that's the biggest issue with them. And their defense is still, still an issue, especially late in games. Nick Vucevic, who I think has done a better job in certain areas, still can't protect the rim and the Magic's guards have been unable to keep anybody in front of them. So then you've got Vucevic, who's still pretty slow-footed, forced to guard You know, a Kemba Walker who's going to come in, take a step back, and that's how he scores 40 points on you. So the close game thing, it doesn't really surprise me, but it's, it's an issue. And so is their inability to beat teams over 500. Some of those teams, you look at you know a team like Cleveland, who they've gotten blown out by... Three times already this season. That doesn't surprise me because Cleveland's a far superior team. The thing that's really scary for them is their start to February. After their home and home with the Celtics this weekend, they get at San Antonio, at Oklahoma City, home against the Clippers, a home and home with the Hawks, and then the Spurs before the All Star break. It just doesn't get any easier. Wow. Yeah, I. There will be blood in that uh, stretch <laughs> before the All Star break. I am excited to see the Spurs in person, though, and uh, hopefully Greg Popovich doesn't uh, rip my head off. Before we proceed with the next question, I just wanted to cut in by saying that hopefully what doesn't kill them makes them stronger with all these young players, or at least if they're losing, maybe they can learn and progress. You can only hope. I think that they can, but at the same time, they're losing the exact same way. And if they can't fix that, then they're not learning. Yeah. Speaking of Nikola Vucevic, he's widely considered to be the Orlando Magic's best player. In wins, he's averaging an efficient 18.7 points per game, and he isn't performing nearly as well across the board in losses. 
How would you assess his importance to the team? Ooh, this one's tough. I think Vooch is really important because of what he gives you offensively. You know, he, he just he does so much. He spaces the floor some as a as a big man who can step out and hit that you know fifteen to eighteen footer pretty consistently, and he's a really gifted passer, which has gotten a lot better this season. But as I mentioned before, his defense is just so far behind his offense that pretty much what he gives you offensively, you lose defensively. I'd say right now that he's pretty important because they don't have the guys behind him who can play. You know, Jason Smith, who, to be completely honest, hasn't played that poorly, isn't a guy that you're going to start and play, you know, 35 minutes a game. Dwayne Dedman, who's proven to be a pretty good rim protector in his first couple of years, can't stay out of foul trouble. So you're kind of forced to go with Vucevic, even with his defensive issues, which is where power forward position comes into play. They were going with Channing Fry for a while, and it was working. You know, they The defense was playing well enough, and what Fry does spacing-wise just opened up so much for their guards who need to be able to penetrate to be successful. But then it just kind of slowly started getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and now Aaron Gordon's starting, which I, I think that that's fair, but I don't know if he's really the type of defensive force that you need next to Vucevic. You know, you probably need a guy like a Serge Ibaka, but there's one Serge Ibaka in the league. You know, I, I saw somebody mention potentially going after Derek Favors, but then I say, okay, Abaka can at least step out and space the floor some and, and keep that room for your guards to be able to penetrate. Favors, he's getting better, right? but he can't do that still. So they're kind of between a rock and a hard place with Vucevic. Well, the good news is, looking at the makeup of this team, something that stands out is how ridiculously young they are. Every core player is 25 or younger, and many of them are in their early 20s. From a strategic standpoint, what do you think is the balance between trying to win now or prioritizing various players' development, like Gordon, whom you just mentioned? Yeah, that, that's something that Scott Skiles has, has talked about. You know, They're struggling to find that balance. I think you know, Aaron is coming along, which is great. And I think the big thing with him is it's just the matter of him actually being healthy and getting on the floor. You know, He missed half of his rookie season with a broken foot. He's finally got a full season under his belt. It's all starting to, to gel. But then you look at a guy like Mario Hazonia, his offense was there. And, and it still is, even though he's struggling shooting the ball. But his defense, I th- think he actually left that in Spain. <laughs> Did he so, have it? He had it in Spain? Well, okay. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly asking. Okay, L- let, me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Hazonia left his defense in the womb. <laughs> um, so that's the big issue with him. He's coming along, which is great, but there's still issues there, which is keeping him off the floor. I think that they're, they're showing some good individual development signs. You know, Alfred Payton, who was so timid to shoot the ball last season, bless his heart. You know, he's, his jumper, you know, might still break a backboard every once in a while, but it actually is improved and he's shown a willingness to actually step up and take it, which is is huge. Yeah. I, I think his defense slipped a little bit last season. He still gambles a little bit too much going for steals, but his on-ball defense is phenomenal. 
I mean, he, he could get a call for an all-NBA defensive team. He's been that good. So they're, they're still able to individually develop, but they're just not putting it all together. And I think this is where we get the question of, do these pieces actually fit? Yeah. You know, I, I wrote something that went up the other morning. With the trade deadline coming up, I've gotten a lot of questions like, well, what do you think Magic should do? I think that they need the same path. With how bad they were last season, they're a year behind in their rebuild. This is pretty much what last season needed to be. They're figuring out which pieces are actually going to be here for the long haul. Then you go and try to make your big splash. You, maybe you look at a guy like a Kevin Love if he becomes available in the uh, offseason. Maybe you look at a DeMarcus Cousins. Something like that. But I think you need to wait until the offseason to, to cash in your chips. Yeah, it's hard to be impatient when your team is so young, but fan bases, they're always impatient. And that's just the nature of it. Yeah, they're impatient. You know, they're, they're tired of losing. They've had the worst record in the league the last three years. So, or I should say, total combined record over the last three years. So, I understand why they're getting impatient and why they really want them to go out and make that splash now. But they have to look at it from a real strategic standpoint because if you go and make a trade come February 18th, say you trade for Kevin Love, hypothetically, you're probably giving up Aaron Gordon, one, if not two of Evan Fournier, Victor Oladipo, and Mario Hazonia, and then probably a draft pick and Channing Fry. Fry's Ooh. a wash. You know, that's a lot, pick. though. Yeah, but I mean, that's probably what it takes. Yeah. Because Kevin Love, even though he's had his struggles with the Cavs, is still a really good player. Right. Especially when he's the guy. I mean, he can go out there and give you 30 and 20 a night. Yeah. That's the thing. Do you trade a young guy in Gordon and a young guy in Fournier, Oladipo, or Hizonia and then risk them, you know, really flourishing there? Or do you wait and see if they really stand out over the next couple of months? I yeah. think it's the latter, but. Earlier, when you were talking about Alfred Payton's backboard breaking jumper, I thought that was really interesting imagery <laughs> and probably not too far off, but fortunately, his three-point shot has really come along. He doesn't shoot it that often, but it's increased nearly 10 percentage points. So there's that. His free throw percentage still is not good, especially for a point guard, but it's up from 55 to 62. So he's improving his shot. He's still inconsistent, though, overall. And he's been particularly bad this month with turnovers and poor shooting. How does he get back to where he needs to be for this team to be performing better? We know he's capable I, of it. Yeah, you know, I think the struggles this month have been partially due to the injury that cost him a few games, and then he's been knocking off the rust. But he's adjusting again. I mean, he played pretty much two months with Channing Fry there instead of Aaron Gordon, and he played all season with Evan Fournier next to him. Now he doesn't have that, so, you know... Having a guy like Victor Oladipo next to him, they split the ball handling. I'd say probably 65-35. So Peyton's still doing most of it, but the ball's on his hands as much. So I, I think that that's part of the inconsistent play. And again, he's still young. He's going to hit that sophomore wall at some point. And you know, maybe this is the month that, that he struggles. But with his shooting, he's been working with uh, shooting coach Dave Love, who Aaron Gordon has also worked with. And let me tell you, 
their rookie year, so at Orlando Summer League, it's closed to fans, so it's just media scouts, coaches, team officials, etc. Media seating is, is right across from one of the benches. And even when Alfred or Aaron were sh- shooting from the top of the key, I was worried that I might get hit by a missed shot. <laughs> That's it, pretty it telling. It was really bad. So it was really bad. More and backboards are intact this year? Yes, with both of them. And it's because they've been working with Dave Love. You know, Alfred said that his shootings improved, but there's still a long way to go for him. But, you know, I mentioned before, he's shown a willingness to shoot the shot, which is half the battle in and of itself. So you mentioned this a little bit in your previous answer, but earlier on in the season, Skiles experimented a little bit with bringing Victor Oladipo off the bench, and that had a little bit of success. Recently, either by necessity with Peyton's injury or otherwise, Oladipo's been back in the starting lineup, and he's putting up good numbers individually, but as we mentioned before, the team has not looked good in January. And actually, if you sort the team's games by how many minutes Victor Oladipo gets, it seems like a pretty negative correlation. Can you just talk a little bit about the pros and cons of Oladipo as a starter versus a bench player and how they play differently when he's in either role? Yeah, I think with him coming off the bench, they have better balance. They actually have a guy who they can give the ball to off the bench. And Victor might not be the most gifted scorer, but he can go and and get you 18 to 24 a night by himself. So that was big for the bench, and it helped the defense a lot. I mentioned before that he's been playing at an all-defensive level, and Scott Skiles has said that multiple times this season, too. So I think that's that's the big pro of that. You know, Maybe the con is... He might have been sulking a little bit. I could tell once the move was initially made that he was upset with the change in his role, which is no surprise. But he got out of his shooting slump finally, and he's been shooting the cover off the basketball in January. As for starting, it's tough. I've probably been the toughest on him of anybody. I think that of Oladipo, Hazonia, and Fournier, I think in the end Oladipo might be the guy that ends up being left out because of his inconsistency shooting. He's still only about a 35, 36% uh, three-point shooter, which that that doesn't work next to Alfred Payton, whose shooting still needs a lot of work. So I, I, I think that's one of the cons of him starting, is you take some of the shooting out with Edward Fournier moving to the bench. But Victor just, he does so much. I mean, he only has one triple-double in his career, but I don't want to say he's he's like Russell Westbrook and can go get you a triple-double any night. If Victor is completely bought in on a, on a given night, I think that he probably could get a triple-double. I mean, he's always crashing the boards. He can score. He gets to the, the rim with ease. He just he can't finish because he doesn't have a left hand still. And he's a good enough passer that, that he opens up a lot. So... It's kind of a loaded question, I think. He he does a lot of good things when he's starting. He does a lot of good things when he's coming off the bench. But he does a lot of bad things each time, too. You know, His inability to finish, his inconsistencies, shooting. So, yeah, that's Victor Oladipo in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, definitely an enigma. Tobias Harris turned 23 this offseason. 
and he was rewarded with a four-year, $64 million contract. That was and, a really good contract. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to hear your thoughts on the contract because they're obviously investing a lot in him. What are the expectations and to what extent is he living up to them? He's also a really good rebounder for his position. Yeah, you know, I think that, that that was probably a really fair contract for him, especially with the cap going up. Pretty much my understanding of what they did was the same thing that the Atlanta Hawks did with Paul Millsap. They're like, okay, go get a max offer somewhere and we'll talk. The Kings were prepared to offer Tobias the max. But then Tobias came back to the Magic. They talked. Tobias took a little bit of a hometown discount, per se, to stay with the Magic in what he considered a better situation. So that's great. But fast forward to the season, outside of his rebounding, he's been, I don't want to say he's been bad, because he's done a lot of really good things. He, I think his defense has been better. He's shown a little bit more of a willingness to pass the ball. But his scoring's down considerably he's down about three and a half points per game his shooting's down it's actually pretty close to the same from the field but it's down five percent from three which is a killer for a team that again struggles shooting the three right so it's kind of like with victor almost you know he does a lot of good things and he's he's been helping the team but he's not doing what they need him to do i mean they, they need him to score and I, it, it'll come. I, I really do believe that. But it's it's been a weird season for Tobias. You know, I I don't want to say that he was really good last year because it was a contract year. But I think he played as well as they did last season because it was a contract year. That's fair. I want to ask you about Channing Fry. No, you the, don't. I do. I'm curious. There's a case for him getting more minutes. The team. No, if you look at the most common four-man lineups, the offense is performing a lot better in all the ones with Channing yes. Fry on the court. How, how's the defense? Defense is actually pretty solid, believe it or not. Okay. What um, do you, what do you th- so do you disagree with him getting more minutes? You know, I touched on a little bit earlier. The space that he opens up for everybody is huge. And that was one of the big reasons that I think Scott Skiles stuck with him starting as long as he did. You know, Skiles has said a couple times that, hey, he makes everybody around him better, which that's great, but you can't pair him with certain people and you can't play him against certain teams. You know, I'll, I'll use the Bucks as an example because I saw this in person earlier this year. Even though the Magic beat the doors off the Bucks and won by 25, the fact that Channing Fry was attempting to guard Giannis Antetokounmpo mm. and Jabari Parker. I'm going to give you guys one guess of how that went. Not well. Yeah. That's the big the big thing with Chan. Numbers-wise, they might say that, that he's been a, a positive, you know, to an extent defensively. But it's a matchup nightmare, especially next to Vucevic, with neither one being able to defend a chair. <laughs> so... It's so hard to really gauge this team with Channing. Yeah. It, it really is. And, and that's been something that all of us have been trying to figure out from, you know, day one, really. I, I think that that's probably, um, the 
one move that Rob Hennigan has been a little bit misguided on in his ten years as Magic GM. The thought of it was really good. You know, they needed a guy who could come in and space the floor. It it just hasn't worked out. All right, so. Zach, the next two questions I'm going to ask are going to be a little bit more statistics heavy, and hopefully you can provide us a little bit of context for how, why they come about. Uh, who do you who's... think you are bringing stats for this? <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable, like stats right? tell half the story. Yeah. So the Magic are last in the league in free throw attempts per game and in free throw difference. They shoot over five fewer per game than their opponents. Yeah. Is that a factor of their style of play not being aggressive enough or maybe because they have so many young players, they're not getting calls? Or what do you see for the reasoning behind that? I think it's a mix of all of them, to be completely honest. You know, I think the guys have a tendency to shy away from contact. I mentioned it with Victor Oladipo's inability to finish with his left hand. He can get into the paint at will, especially when he's going downhill off a pick, but he won't go into a defender's body and draw contact. Alfred Payton won't go into a defender's body and draw contact. Tobias will from time to time, but they shy away from contact so much that you know when they actually go in and get contacted, they don't get called. And it's really bad when Nick Vucevic is only attempting, I believe, three, three free throws a game, which might be leading. The- I don't have that number up. I'm pulling it up right now. Um... Let's see. Oh, no, sorry. Vucevic is averaging 1.5 free throw attempts per game. Wow. That's bad. That, yeah. It, wow. Especially for a guy, he averages 15.4 field goal attempts per game. And, you know, a lot of his offense comes from jump shots, but he's still in the post a decent amount. And he, he gets on the offensive glass. They just, they don't get con, they, they shy away from the contact too much and, you know, I, th- I think that that's one of those things that comes with becoming a more seasoned player. Victor Oladipo, I think, I want to say he shot 11 or 12 free throws last night. Nine of them came because he did rip moves on defenders who put their hands on his hip when he was standing behind the three-point line. That's fine and dandy if you can do that, but you're not going to get a shooting foul called every time. If you're going to drive to the lane, go into a defender's body. Force them to either... A, stay vertical, or B, foul you, and you shoot two free throws. And then with the, the free throw differential, it just comes down to their inability to guard without fouling. They, they get really handsy a lot. You know, They'll go for steals, and they'll gamble, and they'll foul a guy. And they'll get themselves in the bonus really quickly. I've seen them probably two or three times this season have 14 fouls in the first three minutes of a quarter. That's not good, Bob. That's not good. (laughs) And then the next question, and actually this will be the last question of the podcast. They play the ninth slowest pace in the NBA, but it seems like they have the personnel to sort of push the tempo. But I guess historically, Skiles has liked his teams to play more of a slow half-court, grinded-out type of game. False. I did this research when Skiles was hired. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I believe in his coaching career, only two of his teams, it was either two or three of his teams, ever finished with a pace that ranked lower than 13th in the league. Wow, so what's the reasoning behind the Magic playing so slowly? It, <laughs> I, 
<laughs> you got me there. <laughs> that, 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 that's all I got for that one. They, they've talked about wanting to play it at, at a faster pace. And I think that, you know, a lot of it, when you talk about pace, it's not how fast you're initiating your offense. Mm-hmm. It's if you're taking the ball out of the net every time, your offense is obviously going to be pretty slow. Mm-hmm. So it, it starts on the defensive end. You know, if, if you can get some, you know, long rebounds and get a fast break, great. That helps your pace. Or if you're getting rebounds and you get two guys leaking out and then you get your point guard coming downhill, that helps your pace. But I th- it comes back to their struggles defensively. You know, it's, it's better. Their defense is a hell of a lot better than it was the last few seasons. Yeah. But they're still not able to keep teams from scoring. So they're stuck taking the ball out of the net and then just bring it up. And there's just so little movement in their offense a lot of the time that it takes them 15, 16 seconds to actually get into a set. That's that's an issue, especially for a team that doesn't have great shooters. Right. That'll be all for us. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on this podcast. We got so much insight about the magic from you. Hopefully they'll be able to turn it around after this rough patch in February. Well, let's let's hope um, that that start of February isn't fun, and then they get the Warriors later in the month. So, um, you know, pray for us. We will. Yeah, you'll be in our thoughts. <laughs>